Tonight's psalm is 128. First, I'd like to make a few comments on Psalm 127, which we looked at last week. 127 and 128 are a pair, a pair of domestic psalms in the midst of these psalms of ascent. The psalms of ascent, of course, were sung as the people approached Jerusalem, and although these psalms have a strongly domestic focus, they have an extended application to the church. And we might want to just glance at Psalm 127 before we look at 128 to see this. Psalm 127 starts off, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We saw how this applies to the first Adam, how he was called to build a house, how he was called to guard the Garden of Eden, and how he was cursed to painful labors and did not come to experience Sabbath sleep, but Jesus did. Then we have in verses 3 to 5 the more domestic aspect. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. There's the command originally given to Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, which means 30 to 50 kids, right? But if you have one Samson, that's a quiverful. It's really quality rather than quantity. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Now, the focus in this psalm is on the sovereignty of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the children are a gift of the Lord. All this stuff comes from God. Now, notice how 128 complements that by focusing on the responsibility of man. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his way. Right away, we are out of the sphere of God's sovereign grace and more in the sphere of man's covenant faithfulness, which results in all the same things. We can notice, verse 2, When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Here the stress is on man's responsibility and covenant faithfulness. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your grandchildren. Peace be upon Israel. The end of verse 127, speaking to the enemies in the gate, keeping peace. End of verse 128, peace upon Israel. The same basic concerns, one from the standpoint of God's sovereignty, and in Psalm 128 from the standpoint of human responsibility. Both of these expand into a consideration of Jesus Christ as the true husband, father, and head of the house. Psalm 127, we know that the Lord gives these things and it's the Lord who builds the house. It is Jesus Christ who holds all the arrows of the church in his hand and we speak to the enemies in the gate. That comes out more strongly in Psalm 128, which we'll look at now in a little bit more detail. This Psalm 128 has a very interesting construction. You don't always sit down and take the Psalms apart and show how they're written as if this was a poetry class, but sometimes it's worth looking when something jumps out at you, when it jumps out at me since I'm teaching the class. I'll call it to your attention. Notice how there is a progression here of thought. We could look at it and say, what are the consequences of fearing the Lord and walking in his ways in verse 1. The consequence is blessedness. And then we run through different kinds of blessedness. 
First of all, in verse 2, you will eat the fruit of your hands. There's dominical blessedness. There's a blessedness in the cultural mandate in the labor of doing what Adam was called to do. This isn't toilsome labor, as in verse 128. This is the blessed labor in the Garden of Eden. And then in the second half of verse 2, you will be happy, and the word happy is the same as the word blessed in verse 1, and it will be well with you. There is the emotional and personal blessedness pointed to here. And then there's marital blessedness. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. And there's familial blessedness, or we might say domestic blessedness. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And then there's cultural and ecclesiastical blessedness. The Lord bless you from Zion, out from Zion, out from his throne the blessing proceeds. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and need upon your grandchildren peace upon Israel. So all these different kinds of blessedness are the subject of the psalm. We could also look at the same thing in terms of peace. We can take the psalm in terms of blessedness and track it down, or we can notice how everything in this psalm leads to the last phrase, peace upon Israel. Notice how, if you're interested in peace, how do you get it? And then there's beginning of an outworking. First of all, if you want peace, you have to be someone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. We'll find out what these things are in a minute. But then the result is personal peace. First of all, verse 2, eating the fruit of the hands and being happy. Then there's marital peace. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Then there's familial peace, the children like olive plants. And finally, there's cultural peace, and this expands out. So there is a certain primacy here. You want peace in Jerusalem, you're going to get it when you have people who fear the Lord and walk in his ways and experience personal peace and domestic tranquility and then on out into society as a whole. Let's look at the psalm in a little bit more detail then. Verse 1, How blessed or happy is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Two characteristics of the happy man, reverence and obedience. Fearing the Lord. Now, the fear of God in the Bible means two things. It means being afraid of God, and it means revering or reverencing God. I don't know if reverence is a verb. It's used as a verb by people all the time, but I think it's revere. One who reveres the Lord. Sometimes you hear people say, ah, fear of God in the Bible is only reverential awe. Well, there's very little reverential awe around anymore in these days. But fear in the Lord is not just that. It's outright fright at the judgments of God and the power of God and what can happen if God lets us go and doesn't hold us back. It entails these things, and yet there are two kinds of fear. There's the fear that's mixed with hate, and there's the fear that's mixed with love. And the positive virtue of fear in the Bible is the fear that's mixed with love, and that's why it moves over into reverence. The fear that's mixed with hate is the fear of Cain, who runs away from God and wants to hide and doesn't want anything to do with him. The fear that's mixed with love is the fear of the man who comes in the temple and stands in the corner shaking, and yet, even though he's afraid of God, he doesn't want to leave, but he wants to draw closer and closer. It's the fear that a child has for his father, or should have. It's not contradictory to love at all. 
in the New Testament when it says perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't mean that perfect love casts out fear in this true sense. It means perfect love casts out the fear that's mixed with hate. So there are two kinds of fear, the fear that's mixed with love and the fear that's mixed with hate. The fear that's mixed with love, in the Bible, expressions like this, fearing the Lord, speak very often of public worship. What we sometimes think of as the first table of the commandments, although that's an infelicitous mode of speech, that is to say, that it's not very helpful to think of it that way. And yet, showing fear to the Lord as an act to which we do by an act of will, whether we feel like it or not, showing that fear and showing reverence is an important discipline, it's something he's pleased with, and it begins to train us in how to think and how to act. And so the man who shows fear for God and who cultivates reverence for God is blessed. That's reverence. And simultaneously with that, he is a man who obeys God. He's one who walks in his ways. He's a liturgist and he's a theonomist. Not just theoretically, but practically. He shows fear for God and he walks in his ways of obedience. Those are the two things that covenantally make a man blessed. Psalm 127, the sovereignty of God. God does everything. Psalm 128, the responsibility of man. Now, the man who's characterized by fear of God and by walking in his ways will be blessed. And now there are these different kinds of blessedness. And since blessedness is peace in the Bible, the peace with God and the peace of God, then the psalm dovetails these two things. And first of all, there is this dominical blessedness. When you shall eat of the labor of your hands. As I mentioned in passing a moment ago in Psalm 127, we have the man who rises up early and retires late and eats the bread of painful labors. There's Adam, the man who failed to guard the city, the man who failed to build the house and is now cursed. And his labors are not peaceful. But here is the man who eats of the fruit of his hands, and there it's not just the meager bread of painful labors, but it's good food, a lot of food, as is implied by the second half. You will be happy, and it will be well with you. In the Hebrew, that means you'll be fat. Not literally, but this is the same kind of expression used. Everything will go right for you. You'll eat the kind of food you like to eat, not just barley bread, but wheat bread which in the Bible is the difference between poor bread and rich folks' bread. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Here is emotional peace and emotional blessedness. These are the initial consequences, and yet this flows out into life as well. Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. There is marital blessedness and marital peace. The fruitful vine is a reference to sexual charm as we find it in Song of Solomon 7, verses 8 and 9, one of many kinds of images that are used for the attractiveness of the wife. Verse 8 of Song of Solomon 7, I said, I will climb the palm tree, and I will take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the fragrance of your breath like apricots and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flows gently through the lips of those who fall asleep. So, among the things that the fruitful vine indicates is a happy marital relationship in the area of sexuality. And then it 
would expand beyond that to all the other things that the vine connotes in the Bible, which, depending on how well you know biblical imagery, depends on how much you get out of this psalm. If we sit here and unpack it all, then it becomes a rather dry lesson. But the more you've read of the Bible, and the more things that come to your mind when you think about the vine, the more you get from this. The wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. There are questions about this. In the innermost parts of your house, says the margin. And yet some Hebrew scholars will translate this around the outside of your house, like a vine growing on the outside. It seems to be something of a toss-up as to how it's taken. And so it would be, I think, the idea, however, is that a vine grows all over. And the fruit of the wife who is like a fruitful vine is filling the house with the imprint of her own personality and making it into a home. And then we read in the second half, your children are like olive plants around your table. Familial blessedness and familial peace. Now, the comparison here is just an image, and we'll go into why this image is used in a moment. But the reason for the reference to olive plants is that olives grow up around the parent tree. You know that you probably have trees in your yard, some kinds of trees, and I don't know enough about trees to be able to specify this, but you'll have a big tree, and then every now and then, somewhere around the tree, you'll have a, a little teeny tiny tree growing up out of the ground. Well, olive plants are known for that. So you have an olive, and then all around it, you've got olive shoots growing up. And that's the picture here, one main olive plant, and there are a lot of other olive plants growing out from that, popping up, and they are around the table. So we have in verse 4, Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The olive is a source of oil and blessing. And so the picture in Psalm 127 is that when the children are grown, they will defend the culture. They will become guardians of the Garden of Eden. They will speak to the enemy in the gate, that is, in the law court, and if necessary, on the battlefield. Here the picture is that when the children grow up, they'll produce oil, which is the medicine and the sign of blessing in society. You know, there are many references to oil and how precious it was, how Jesus was anointed with oil. One could start going down all the things the Bible says about oil. But I'll leave that to your memory to fill it all in. The children become oil to society and a blessing upon it. Then in verse 5, we come to a larger expansion. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Here are people walking to Jerusalem, singing this psalm and saying this one to another. The Lord bless you out of Zion. Zion is the center, and the blessing comes out from the throne of God. We have to get this visual picture of God's throne in the middle and the blessing coming out from it to all of society. And then, as a result of people fearing God and walking in his ways, we see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of our lives. And our lives are long, so we live to see our grandchildren, and we live to see peace upon Israel. We find, then, that if we're interested in social and cultural peace, the way to get it is to create a society of people who fear God and who walk in his ways, to create families where the wife is happy and is a fruitful vine within the house, not only within the house, we have to be careful not to take this psalm in a pietistic context and forget that there's Proverbs 31, that the woman who is stationed in the house will also go out and traffic in the world as well. But the focus here is domestic, 
The wife fills the house with her personality, and the children like olive plants around the table. Now, why this psalm? Why is it a psalm of ascent? What does it have to do with the feasts and festivals in Israel? Well, it's because the language here will expand redemptively to talk about Jesus Christ. After all, who is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways? Well, it's you and I, but we don't do all that great a job. No one can claim that he fears the Lord as he should or walks in his ways as he should. And so by rights, we should not be numbered among those who eat the fruit of our hands. We should not be numbered among the blessed and the happy, and it should not be going well with us. Curiously, basically it is going well with Christians. It always has. There have been seasons when it hasn't. But by and large, Christians have been blessed by God. Even in what look like miserable external circumstances, they find happiness in knowing that they're saved and in finding the comforts of the Holy Spirit. And so we are appointed then to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come and who truly fears God and who walks in his ways perfectly. And if we follow the psalm through that way, we begin to find his larger meanings. It's the wife of God, the bride of Christ, who is the fruitful vine within the house. Didn't Jesus say, I am the vine and you are the branches? We have then the picture of the central vine and the branches coming off. Christ's bride is like the vine that fills his house. We find in the book of Hebrews that church is compared to a house and the world is compared to a house. And here the bride of Christ fills the house, covering the walls, putting the imprint of our cultural activities upon his house and pleasing him. And then we also find Jesus saying in the book of Hebrews, Behold, I and the children that thou hast given me. We children of God are like the olive plants around his table. Now, I'm not just spiritualizing here. I'm pulling together the kind of imagery the Bible uses so that you'll see the double meaning. In fact, in the Psalter itself, in Psalm 52, verse 8, we read, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. And if you have a cross-reference Bible, you'll find other places where the people of God are referred to as olive trees in the temple. And so with this background, the people coming to the feast will begin to meditate and see that they are the olive plants around God's temple. When they come to the feast, whether it's Passover, Pentecost, or tabernacles, they eat at the Lord's table. And so they begin to see themselves as the olive plants around the table. He is the central olive tree, and we are the shoots that are coming up from around him. Thus shall the man, Jesus Christ, be blessed who fears the Lord. He is the one who has all these things. And so rightly and properly, God can say, The Lord bless you from Zion. And he can say, May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and may you see your children's children. All this will be true of Christ. And why is it true for us in the typological sense? Because we're the type and he is the reality. Christ in the church, that's the reality. Your marriage is the type. You ever think of that? People say, the relationship between Christ and the church is typological of marriage sometimes. But it's the other way around. Our marriages are temporary. His marriage is permanent. And these things will point to that. And it's only because it's true for him that it's true for us who are in union with him. And then we're pointed back to the practical meanings of the song. Do any of you have any questions about this song? goes nicely with Psalm 127. Remember the sovereignty of God there. In Psalm 128, the responsibility of man. 
bringing these things to pass. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.